0: Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip talks with founder and CEO of Impact Ventures and recent inductee to DCEO's Dallas 500, Benjamin Vann.
1: Here's Philip. We are back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast, and today I have a returning guest, Benjamin Van, and uh, man, last episode we did like what two or three years ago. Ooh, was a it long was time
2: 2018, ago. I believe. Yeah, man, that was yeah. Long. That was like it three- was a wallet. It was before the pandemic, so anything. <laughs> you know <laughs>
1: hey the pandemic the pandemic was like uh like on avengers uh Free. <laughs> what was that event the the infinity war when everybody disappeared you know
2: <laughs> it was time before like what we, we call it b, b bp like before the pandemic <laughs> right right anything that happened before that i i have no recollection of but and it's glad to be it's good to be back to join you uh uh brother um and friend uh and i love what you're doing educating the people on on your show so i'm glad to be back and and hopefully enlighten more people and 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 share this this uh this good knowledge yeah,
1: so. yeah yes sir and so for, for the for those of y'all that that want the background of how he got into the business go listen to the 2018 episode we're gonna we're gonna get in some to, to the meat of things this time but just let everybody know give them background of what impact ventures does so they so they know
2: yeah, definitely. So Impact Ventures is a uh, Dallas-based uh, nonprofit um, that has a mission to eliminate the social and economic barriers for women and uh, communities of color to build generational wealth through inclusive entrepreneurship and integrated capital. Um, we offer um, training programs uh, that focus on both small businesses and high-growth tech enterprises. Um, we do ecosystem building through a number of summits, community engagement, Um Uh, networking events, uh, et cetera, hackathons that we do during the year as well. Uh, And just recently, we've added a third leg to our arm, which I know Philip knows I've been passionate about this for for a long time, is developing our our investment fund, uh, which takes a very unique approach to investing, uh, which we believe, you know, complex uh, problems such as investing in women and minorities takes complex solutions. And so we take a very, a very uh, different approach to investing, uh, as you would think, in a, in a normal kind of VC landscape or lending landscape. We kind of do it all. We're kind of the Swiss army knife. So excited to dive into some of that stuff. Um, we've, we've supported over 64 founders uh, just through our, our flagship program so far. They've gone on to raise about one point five million. Um, uh, in collective dollars and counting, they've created about 49 jobs in the local ecosystem. Um, And through the pandemic, we've actually had the opportunity to expand our our footprint nationally. Um, So we we support um, uh, companies across the U.S. um, that are in certain high target markets that we see are traditionally left out um, by venture capital. Um, And uh, we're just looking to continue to grow and build on that impact and, and see how we can get more dollars out uh, back into the community.
1: Okay, well, and I didn't put this. We didn't talk about this before, but I'm I. I didn't know. T- what's, t- tell me about the because uh, I know I know you were passionate and you were, you know, three years ago, really looking for that 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 financing arm. But tell me more about that. How'd you? So so you have it up and running now?
2: Yeah. So we are we we're we're still in the building phase, um, but we've definitely come into a situation now where where things are realizing we've got some initial investments. Um, You know, you've probably seen the multi-year investment that we just uh, received from uh, the Community Foundation of Texas um, W.W. Caruth Junior Fund, uh, which is a huge opportunity, $450,000, that will activate um, uh, for, for our organization. Um, and then, uh, it'll be launched on Monday or announced on Monday. Uh, we just got a $200,000, uh, PRI, which is called a program related investment, mm-hmm. um, from a foundation, uh Phillips foundation that's based here in Dallas and has offices both in North Carolina as well. Um, and we have a number of finance institutions that are coming alongside of us as we're kind of really, creating a model that doesn't exist in terms of financing, and and that model is really focusing on what we call uh, relationship-based investing Mm -hmm. um, and using an integrated strategy of both debt and equity. And so, um, you you know, when you think about traditional um, financing, really two main uh, strategies come to mind, right, that you see kind of on a macro level, right? You see, you know, your traditional SBA, you know, loans where you go to a bank or you go to a CDFI and they're, you know, they're doing the, you know, 70 something or four oh something loan that's backed by the SBA, right? And then the opposite end you see the headlines talk about raising venture capital and getting in front of VCs and um uh, and kind of uh going through the rat race of of what that might look like, right? Mm-hmm. And so th- what we found is that you know. Our main goal of investing is to close the racial wealth gap, right? Um, and that's focusing both on on increasing income and creating jobs for businesses. And so um, we're not necessarily looking for the unicorn. Uh, we like to say we're looking for the zebra. Hmm. Um, and the zebra could be a company, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a $10 million company. There's nothing wrong with having a $20 million company. Um, not everyone's in the business to sell and to, um, and to you know uh, to to, to kind of go this kind of exit hockey stick you know route. Um, some people just want a sustainable business, and I and, and we actually look at um, prefer a more sustainable business than we do a self sustaining business than a uh, let's just try to gr- grow the value as much as we can and then sell it right mm-hmm. because there's a lot of negative externalities that come with just focusing on driving value and then and selling to a new owner, you know, you have no idea what, what the new owner is going to come in and do to that business. Right. right. And, and what happens to the stakeholders who were depending on those services, um, you know, prior to the sale. And so it's not that we're against those, those traditional, but we believe that to really address this racial wealth divide, we have to develop new tools Use new strategies and new systems to build and create wealth organically and in a way that's not extractive um, to communities of color, um, because as we know, um, capitalism, you know, and racism and slavery are are synonymous, hmm. right? Hmm. In this country, everything we see, everything that we do, was built on uh, the backs of black people uh, that were stolen from, you know, from stolen land. Um, and in order to rectify, you know, the, the inequities in our community, we can't use the same tools that we use to, to build these, this structure and this infrastructure. And so, um, yeah, just to get into the technical, I guess, the technical side of it, um, we don't look at traditional things like credit score and collateral. Uh, we, we rely on character, trust-based, um, uh, relationship-based But then also looking at the viability of the business. Right. So that's looking at um, what does your monthly cash flow look like? Um, And if it doesn't um, look sufficient enough to afford um, a loan, because as we know, our credit score doesn't define how successful an entrepreneur is going to be. Right. right? There's no indication that credit score, you know, is 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 correlates to if a business is going to be successful or not or if someone can return a loan or not. The business itself will tell you it's written in the numbers if the business is going to be successful or not. Right. And if we see any risk in that, then we look at our service and say, how can we be a value add to that company to help de-risk it? Right. That could be making strategic introductions that could help them uh, understand uh, that they might be looking at the wrong target audience, providing technical assistance support. Uh, We have a huge mentor network pool that they can tap into. And so it's really about wrapping around the services and support and social capital for the entrepreneur to have a chance. Because as we know, in in, in the world of VC and the world of entrepreneurship, in the past, winners have been picked, right? The winners are picked. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a by chance, I got lucky, like nothing happens by luck. Winners winners are picked, right? Um, and, And part of picking a winner is injecting large amounts of capital into these businesses, and traditionally, we haven't had the the proximity to relationships to get picked, right, mm-hmm. or to even be considered uh, to be chosen. And now we're seeing that change, and we hope that our work is is um, uh, critical and vital to uh, creating that system change. Not only on the entrepreneur level, with you know creating more uh, investment ready entrepreneurs because they're more prepared, more technically sound, more business sound. But also diversifying the types of investors and new investor class and, and 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 seeing more black and brown investors come into angel investing as well as getting into VC. So we look at really transforming the industry, kind of starting with our with our region in North Texas.
1: Yeah. And, I, and, I, and it sounds like you, 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 uh, it's on that last point. You, you continued the journey that you were telling me about before where you were like, hey, Philip, there's nobody trying to you know get money from foundations and looks like that's a, that's a big part of, um, and I would, until you said it last time, I never thought about it, but there are, you know, foundation there. Foundations are typically mission driven, right? They want to get a return, but they're run by on mission. Driven. Yeah. And, and they're focused on yeah. the impact. And so I was like, yeah, that, that's a lot of money there. And, and I can, I can definitely see a lot of foundations who are like, yeah, we'll, we'll give a, you know, um, minority business some money. Cause yeah, it makes us feel good and we can make some money.
2: Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's time and time after, again, you're seeing new funds set up that prove that you can invest for impact and invest for justice, right, Um, and not sacrifice returns. Uh, And that's what we're trying to prove out here in the DFW market. If you look at Texas, you know, um, just per capita, we have the largest population of Black people, right? Um, We have the largest percentage of of Black people in our our state. And if we look at DFW, only 2%, of um, or actually 3% um, of representation. So we're, we represent about in DFW, about 22% of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have 3% representation in business ownership, right? Mm-hmm. So that tells me that there's a huge opportunity to grow more black businesses and start more black owned businesses, right? Because we only represent 3% of the population. Out of that 3%, 97% have one or less employee, right? So that tells me, also, our firms aren't growing at the same rate as our white counterparts, and so our theory is that a lot of that is due to not having access to capital, right? And so, if we can provide access to capital in this kind of uh, flexible um, repayment terms, you know, we're we're looking at doing things like revenue share agreements, um, where basically you pay back a percentage um, of your monthly revenue uh, versus a set um, uh, uh, monthly payment in a traditional term loan. Right, uh, we're doing things like uh, uh, term line of credit. So, say your business is—you know—a lot of black-owned businesses are in the retail space, uh, the consumer goods space, the restaurant space, where they need to buy inventory, they need to buy ingredients, they need to have inventory stock on hand. That's where term line of credits can come in, where we can put together a, a one or two-year, you know, ten thousand-dollar line of credit um, that can allow you to free up cash flow so that you can buy inventory. With with free cash and not with cash that is coming in from other customers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have that cash flow crunch. Um, we're also um, doing things like recoverable grants. So basically, you said we can give you a loan, and if you hit these metrics, then it'll be considered a grant, right? Um, so that's very flexible financing that uh, you know definitely VCs aren't doing. But then also because of the the, the a lot of the fiduciary and legal restrictions. Most banks and CDFIs can't do them because they're 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 um, restricted by uh, you know government mandates on the funding that they get. They have to spend in certain ways. They have to get a certain interest rate. Um, and so there's other other things that we're doing that that's changing the ecosystem. And the, the things I'm most excited about about our approach in our fund uh, is the ability for um, residents, and specifically non-accredited investors, to participate in our fund. And so. Um, As we kind of fully launch out, probably at the the end of this year, we're actually launching our pilot. Um, You'll see here coming out Monday, we're launching our our pilot and we'll start deploying capital over the next six months to close out the year. uh, Just to kind of test out some investments, test out some theories and some products that we want to offer. to the ecosystem, uh, when we launch the full kind of first $10, $10 million phase, um, we'll create opportunities for uh, non-accredited investors and institutions. So think about, you know, the individual who has $1,500 in the savings account. And they're like, yo, what can I do with this? Mm-hmm. $2,000 in the bank account. What can I do with this? Um, you can invest that on the stock market, which, you know, has its its, its risk and, and its upside as well. Um, you can also look at um, your traditional, you know, uh, savings accounts that get you point <laughs> not, 0.00 right. something percentage, right? Mm. You can look at money market CDs, etc. but they all have these restrictions. They all have, um, uh, it, it's just not a good time in the market, you know, for interest rates, right? And return on capital. And so, you know, we can, you know, Put together, like I said, a three-year note or something like that, where you get three percent, right, or a, a, a seven-year four percent, right. Um, that that's something where you can get a return on your capital, and that do- those dollars are going into small businesses in your community. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got this double, triple bottom line where you got residents that are able to create wealth and, and increase, you know, their assets, and then also they're using those assets to invest in minority-owned businesses. Um, in their local community. So hmm. that's what I'm most excited about is rolling out that component to see how we can really get, um, you know, faith-based institutions involved. We've been working with a number of churches locally to see how we can kind of have some financial literacy and empowerment uh, to get people to uh, invest in their funds and and then be able to validate, you know, companies that are out there doing great work.
1: We kind of talked about this, but I want to I ask it. So, you know, the world got real woke, you know, and I'm doing quotation marks. They got real woke <laughs> about funding minority businesses I mean, from from your perspective. Cause you're, you're in it. This is what you do all day long. Do you feel like they're really woke or was it just a marketing gimmick? You know what I'm saying? To get some feel good, to, to make people buy more, more of their stuff.
2: I, I think it's tough to, to, to cast a verdict. Uh, I think it's still too early to tell uh, because the, you know, the the pandemic is still kind of ongoing, right? You still got PPP going out. We got another round, of that going out, you know, there's still, um, a lot of foundations, a lot of corporations are still developing the DEI strategies. you know, they're still rolling out the racial equity plans. So it's tough to kind of say is, you know, is, is this sustainable or not? But I feel like this feels different than mm. situations before. Um, I, I feel like there's been just a massive macro awakening and awareness around, um, just reevaluating every single component of what we call American life, right? Um, and, and how privilege and how equity and how our biases kind of come into play. Um, I will say that I, I feel like the VC industry hasn't slowed down, right? With um, you know either the pandemic or with you know the, the heightened sense of, of racial equity. Um, I, I see more black fund managers. I see more black funds being launched. I see more black um, angel networks being launched. So I think it's also been an internal self-awaiting to, mm-hmm. to us as the community as well. Uh, and I think that's sustainable, right? Yeah. That's one thing I can cast a verdict on and say, I think that is a long-term growth opportunity.
1: Well, that, that, and, 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 and that was my point. Cause I think, so like I've, I've engaged in debates with people for like, as long as I can remember, you know, like if I'm, I talk to somebody and they'll say they'll say, "Oh, that's what's wrong with the black community." Blah 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 blah. And I'd be like, "Chill out, man. Chill out. You're talking to the wrong. <laughs> you know, because 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 what I told them was, I was like, if 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 you look at history and you look at the Jewish community, you know, back in the early 1900s, they were regulated to, you know, entertainment uh, and in the financial world, they were regulated to the products like money market funds that that you know, WASP banks, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants didn't didn't want. And mm-hmm. so they, and so they, they just said, okay, if, if that's what we got, we're gonna execute. You know what I'm saying? And then they built wads of money, and then they went into every, everything else, and and then became an economic powerhouse, right? In, inside of a society that was, or a world that was prejudiced against them. You know what I'm saying? And so, so you look at us, you know, and I think like 90s was that time period where. You know, like sport sports athletes are getting paid lots of money. Like it's accelerated. Um Hip hop. Right. Hip right? oh, yeah. hop. Hip hop is official. Hip hop is rock and roll. Right. And, and the difference between hip hop and rock and roll was hip hop artists like the 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 goats. They were not just artists. Like they were business moguls. So like you know, n- name me any rock and roll artist who who's like a Jay Z, Diddy. You know what I'm saying? A chameleonaire, Slim Thug. Oh, Right, Uh Nas, who made money, you know what I'm saying like they. It was a different mindset, you know what I'm saying like nothing against the rock and roll folks, but I'm just saying, yeah, uh, uh, Beyonce, who says, "Hey, you want to give me a shoot deal, but you don't got black executives in here? Like, out of here! Like, I'm going to, I'm going to Adidas. You know what I mean? And so, and right. so, so we have like, like this is the beginning of like the wealth that we're building. And like you said, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I think, I personally think part of the change was they realized man, like these black funds, if you trace them all, they're, they're from these people who made money in hip hop and sports from our community and the people who want to do business with them. Right. Cause they're like, they're like legit, like not just black moguls, like they're legit moguls and we want to do business with them. And so, so we have to give money because like Beyonce ain't gonna let us in a room, you know what I'm saying? If we don't have enough black people on the team. Right. And so I feel like, I feel like it's, it's less out of the goodness of their heart and more out of like, you just can't ignore us anymore.
2: Yeah. No, I, I think every, uh, you know, every culture has, I think, that turning point. And I think our generation is definitely that one that, you know, the, the we're, we're now becoming sec- second and third generation college grads. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and that matters because education is paramount to all of this. Right. Education creates exposure. You know, that's where the, the vehicle for opportunities you know, come to play in um, our HBCUs, you know, granted, I feel like there's some work that needs to be done with like our non-brand name HBCUs, but, you know, I think we can invest more in in, in those versus just the same, you know, ones that we we all know and love. Um, but we're just in a different state where, you know, accessibility and technology has made information accessible. It's made uh, inspiration accessible. That's a huge thing that we don't, we, we, we don't talk about in terms of how to quantify the fact that I can go on YouTube and watch a clip about Jay Z talk about business, like inspiration is now accessible in a time where um, we didn't have a, a black doctor that lived in the neighborhood, or you know, or, or a, a black VC. I, I talk all the time. I, I was speaking to um, some college students about um, just my, you know, uh, rough experience, you know, kind of going through college and, and getting to where I am, you know uh went to a, a small division two school played football had a scholarship you know my uh my uncle and my grandfather passed away my sophomore year and i had dropped out of school because i wanted to be closer to home because i felt like you know if i was closer to my family i could control you know what happens and, and you believe that but it you really can't control that mm-hmm. and in that time um you know i, I ended up you know playing football uh, at the other university back in my hometown, uh, and I remember. I remember the head coach calling me into the office and, and he uh, he uh, they offered me a scholarship and and they wanted me to be the starter. And, and I turned it down. I said no. I went back to my original university, walked on, literally like took full time hours in the summer, full time hours in, in the spring and was was ineligible by, I think, three credits. But ended up earning my scholarship back, ended up starting that next year, my junior mm. in my, my last two years. Um, at the school, but in that time, I had never met a breathing VC in my life. I, I had never met an, an an RIA. I never met, you know, like a black VC or black investor, or you know, I never met them in in person. But I read about this guy, and then Reginald F. Lewis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually so. My senior year when I when I was I was done with football, but I still had one year left. Who,
1: who was the, who was a newt, by the way, for all you alphas listening <laughs> and, and Q's listening? Definitely. Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we we gonna brag about that. One of the one of the first uh billionaire, black billionaires uh in, in, in the industry. But um I was I I was invited to uh I joined the Washburn Finance Society. Um of course I was the only black person, black male anything that joined and I went on a um trip to New York to the Global Asset Management Exchange Forum is put on by CUNYPAC University. It's like the big conference in, universe, uh, in in New York where all these you know industry leaders come and talk about the future of finance and, and investing and all that. Um and I had I had never been a part of an, an environment you know like that. Uh I never seen you know a black VC, never met one actually until I moved to Texas, until I met my first like black VC but just reading about, you know, the work that that Reginald F. Lewis did in the in that world inspired me to want to pursue finance mm-hmm. when my original major was architecture. Right. So if you talk about like the power of inspiration, bro, like the fact that I I never physically saw a black investor VC like my whole life growing up, to being able to see that or being able to read about that because of accessibility Mm -hmm. that inspired me to pursue an opportunity that get me, that got me to where I am today, you know, from working at Fidelity investment to working for a global microfinancing startup, uh, you know, to, to, to being here, like we can't discount that power of like accessibility and inspiration.
1: And and I think you touched upon another part too, because I think a lot of, what, what do you think about this? Cause so, so, so yeah, like, you know, there, there, there are forces that don't want to succeed. There are forces that only want to succeed because it's in their financial best interests. But I think the majority of people have always been like relatively like good people, whether they're like liberal, conservative, like whatever, you know, because like, even with my businessman, I, I, I know I got some clients who are like staunch Trump supporters, you know what I'm saying? They love Trump. You know, I think he was a racist, but they don't, they're not racist and, and they don't see that because they don't they don't know what dog whistles are. So how, that, you know, that's so, a
2: classism issue. That that's y- yeah. that's where economics come into play, where where people feel like, well, if you can make me, if, if Trump lost the money, then I think their 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 tone would be a little different, right? <laughs> so it's Trump, like as long well, as and,
1: and you know <laughs> and and they to, and they don't have to worry about race because if, if you take race out, right? Trump really wasn't that. I mean, he was a dick, but I mean, so was Biden. You know, um, <laughs> so if you take if you take his dog whistles out. So if you can't hear him because you didn't experience him, like he wasn't that, he wasn't, he was on, he was spot on with a lot of his direction. He just was terrible at execution. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, and and, and so, and so, so I get it. And here's where I'm going with it. Cause I feel like, so, so, and I want to get your thoughts. So I'm talking to my niece, right. Who just graduated from college and she's working at a bank and I'm telling her banks are dead. Like, you know, cause you know, she's talking about politics and how it is. And I say, listen, when you're at an organization that provides no value to society, like I hate my bank, you know what I'm saying? I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. There's no bank that I like, you know what I'm saying? So I said, nobody likes banks. And so if you're at an organization that is uh, what I call rent seeking, right? It's only in existence because they got government power. Right, and all these regulations mm-hmm. and they provide no value, then you're going to be somewhere where it's political, right? So if you want to move up, merit doesn't matter. It's about who you know. And I said, oh, no. I said, I said, you're a go getter, so you need to put the supply and demand on your side. Meaning, like get out of this, re- get out of this environment where merit doesn't matter, and go to like, go to the wild, wild west where there's like. And I was telling her, you'd like finance, go to cryptocurrency companies, Coinbase, like Gemini because they're growing so fast because they're providing so much value that they'll hire anybody. Like, can you breathe? You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, Oh, you're interested in this industry. Like we'll put you on and try, you know what I'm saying? And so, and so I, I, I feel like if you, I feel like if she went, they're not going to discriminate against her because she's a black female. First of all, because, because once you're part of the tribe, they don't give a shit about how you look. You're part of the tribe. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I use the example of if, if, if me and, you know, a, 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 a Trump supporting guy with the Trump flag were in China and I had a Texas shirt on and he had a Texas shirt on. Like we homies, you know what I'm saying? Because we're like, we're in China. Like we're part of the same tribe. We're Texans, you know what right. I'm saying? And so, and so I, I say I you do that. And then 10 years out the industry, you grow with the industry, but you're, a, you're an expert and you're good. And you're a black woman. Psh,
2: yeah. sky's you're the limit. The like sense.
1: sky is the limit. And, but I feel like a lot of us, you know, and you might have this better, but I, but I feel like part of how we can um, grow more, like the ones that aren't getting access to the money, is we go to the scary places, right? Instead of instead of the tried, you know, tried and true, tested places. Like nothing wrong with restaurants and all that kind of stuff. But that's I'm that's like, what I did.
2: Yes, yeah. essentially, I remember sitting in my car when I got. So I got laid off in 2016, March 2016, um, and I said, okay, I could either go back. To the corporate world right go back to the rat race um i said or i could do something that no one is doing right now like at, at scale in this i looked at this region and then i looked at texas and said okay how do i remain how do i keep myself valuable as a black man in this space right and all things on, on my end just given my background and experiences and 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 the, the vantage point in which I was looking at the world, that was through investments, finance, this kind of uh, uh, impact investing, um, uh, philanthropy space. Like there's not that many black men in philanthropy. Right. There's not that many black men that lead foundations. Uh, only 2% of foundation capital goes to like black executive directors. I can count on my hand how many black executive directors that have a budget over a hundred thousand in the North Texas region. I know all of them. Like all of them are 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 close friends. You know what I mean? So I I I went into the I guess you would say into the darkness, right? I stepped into the dark. (laughs) I went towards the darkness instead of towards the light. Yeah. Uh to say, you know, how can I figure this thing out and how can I add value in a space where I know that the the impact of, of what I'm doing at it, at its full potential has the ability to really transform the ecosystem, and we're already seeing that. You know, um, just through our work, right. um, everyone's well, reevaluating reevaluating their lending policies, their you know, their practices, because they're like, hey, how how are these guys able to, you know, lend this much money out and and invest this much money out with all these without the strict requirements.
1: So yeah. well, and, and and I think that's that's how we connect because like there's two black investment advisors who own their own RIA fully, like in DFW, and i and it's me and the guy who I used to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so 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 I but, I but I'm talking specifically like to the minorities you mentor. So when they come to you and say, "I want to start a restaurant," like do you say, like do y'all have those conversations about? We do, but, man. This is we where do. the world's going, <laughs> you know. So this is this is this is what I
2: tell them actually. Um, and and there's a few companies you'll see in this next cohort that I'm really excited about. Um, that I, I tell them, I challenge them to say, think about what you're doing as a, as a restaurateur or, or in the food business and how can you package your goods to be um, on a shelf? You know, how do you get your, whatever you're doing, if it's spices, you know, if you cook fish and you use certain spices, how do you package those spices and get those spices in whole foods? That's where the wealth starts to create. That's where um, when you start to productize, right? Right think about every industrial re- uh, revolution that this country has had from um you know from from agriculture to to steel um to to now technology to to the internet of things that we're in now all of those have barriers to entry right if you get in agriculture if you didn't own you know slaves <laughs> you couldn't get in that business right right if you didn't as we started to get into the industrialization, if you didn't own heavy machinery, heavy equipment, and and steel, and have access to to coal, and you couldn't get in that industry, right? Um, now, if you have a uh, cell phone <laughs> and, and a laptop, right, <laughs> uh, and Wi Fi, that that's literally the barrier. Right. That's literally the barrier right there, right. So think about the barrier to entry now that we're where we're in to where I, I now everything is is DIY. I can make my 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 spices from home. I can, you know, I can rent out a storage unit and that's my warehouse and I and I store all my stuff there. You know, like there's there's so many creative ways that I think we can still do food, but just add innovation to it. And sure. innovation is not always technology. Right. You know, innovation is just a new way of doing things. How do I productize my spices? How do I, and, and and getting to that point where we're making money while we sleep, that's building the business, not trading time for dollars,
1: right? Man, you know, it just came in my head. This, this that whole mastermind, concept, as, we, as we were rifting on it, I was like, you know, it'll be dope. Like imagine, imagine five people who want to own a restaurant, black restaurants, they go in together. Buy some property, share the kitchen, and have and have a delivery. So, so they got their own sites. You know what I'm saying for delivery Bruh. that they can distinct. And but but they own the property and they share the kitchen. What? Sweet Jesus, that would be so dope. You just you just cut your expenses
2: in 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 four parts. Now that you, now you only have a fourth of your expenses that you had normally, hundred uh-huh. percent. Right,
1: man. That that's would...
2: higher margins. That's <laughs> like. Yeah, that's the way I want. I want people to think, and that, and those are the conversations I have with with my food businesses, um, and then my service businesses. Think about okay, all of this, you know, stems from slavery, right? You know, we were always, you know, the handmaidens. The, you know, we did everything service oriented. The cleaners, so it's naturally only makes sense that, you know, post slavery, the businesses that we started were barbershops, mm-hmm. were janitorial services, shoe shining companies. Because that's what we did, mm-hmm. you know, during slavery, right? Yep. And so, I challenge a lot of my service base where you provide a, a a time, you know, exchange for service. How do you productize yourself, right? And how do you build? How do you build from for growth from the foundation, right? Um, contrary to, to most opinions, there's there's a movie, there's a series called Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Have you ever watched that?
1: I've watched like season. Half a season one, and then it, it got. Uh, Somehow, something, totally something happened where it, I was like, "Man, this is too much," or something, and I lost interest. <laughs> it was good though; it was
2: good. So, my, minus the the you know that era and how <laughs> chauvinistic they were and how they treated women was absolutely terrible. Even I was like, hmm. yeah. like the <laughs> way they treated uh, mm-hmm. women back. So, you know, barring that, just seeing how they built the agency was amazing to see like how they thought about um, infrastructure and how they thought about value and how they thought about leverage. Um, I was talking to a company uh, a, a Latinx uh, Hispanic woman business she does um, consulting like a, she does like a Kaizen and kind of uh, six Sigma type efficiencies consulting for um, engineering companies uh, in like the aerospace and transportation mm-hmm. space. She wants to build a global agency. And I said, okay, I said, and, so if you want to build an agency, build it with the mindset of you're building a business, not you're owning a job, right? Because, I said, because if you and your mind never get out of the fact that, okay, I got to be in Chicago, I got to be in LA, I got clients. If you never get out of that mindset of you're owning a job, which means you have to perform the service, mm-hmm. you're never going to build a global agency. Right. You'll build a global job where you have clients all over the country, but you're the one servicing them. I said, but you have to think like I'm building a business. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, it's your job to hunt. And that's that's what I love about Mad Men, because they went out and hunt. Mm -hmm. Some people say it's it's smoothing. It's it's it's, it's, uh, you know, sucking up. No, they went, they were hunting. Mm-hmm. They were, they were hunting the clients, right? They were impressing the clients. They secured the bag. And then when they brought the bag back, they said, okay, cool. You got the copy, you got the design, you putting together the commercial, you putting together the, the branding for it. Right. And it's like, I love the way they built that. And then when they built it up to a certain level, then one partner merged with another partner Right now they have this conglomerate to where now you don't have to service another client. Now it's you and a partner, but you're building a company, right? Mm-hmm. You're building a business in the company where you're, you're not exchanging your time for the value of the, of, of the service and the dogs that are, that are, that are coming in. I said, that's, if we're going to be in a service industry, we have to have that mindset of I'm building a business, not owning up. Right.
1: No, I, I, I like it. I like it. Here, here's the last question. Cause I know we, uh, or, or run. I know we
2: got off a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, no,
1: it, it was good though. Good, good stuff. So, uh, favorite favorite sport, man? What? No, actually, before we go there, let me. What, what What are all the services that that y'all offer? So, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm looking to get started, like, do I need to be a startup? Do I can I have an existing business? Like, what do you you know? Because y'all do more than help them get money. Like, what, what do y'all do? Yes.
2: Yeah, so we we actually um you know I I love how all things work together um, and i hate to be duplicative because i feel like the ecosystem is, is it's an organism in itself right and so for us we feel like our sweet spot is helping existing businesses mm-hmm. um we feel like if, if you're an entrepreneur you listen to this and you're in the north texas region one of the things that we do really well as an ecosystem is we help businesses start right like if you want to start here's your llc here's your you know checklist like You're you're in business, right? Here's your marketing plan. Like, you know, we do that really well. What we struggle at and where I think opportunities are are helping existing businesses grow, right? Going back to that, you know, ninety-seven percent, you know, that have less than you know one or less employee. Going back to that that number, right? Is our organization is really focusing on how do we help companies grow to get to that first two hundred fifty thousand, you know, the first half a million, the first million dollars. Um, in revenue to then scale to ten million, right? So we're really focused on early stage and growth stage um, um, companies, um, and and that's 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 the reasoning behind is because we feel like there are other organizations and resources that we can point you to that we work with. I literally just referred entrepreneur the other day to like five other organizations that help you start. Once you get that start and you got the concept down, if you got your market, if you identified who you're targeting, your pricing model, all that you come to us then we can take that refine it develop a a, a a replicated process and then actually connect you to industry leaders mentors executives in the space that then can take that business and and, and take it to the next level mm-hmm. it's hard to take a business that's at startup level that's not ready to then pour gasoline on. like have you ever tried a lot of light a fire without a match but you poured the gasoline <laughs> like like you know, when you barbecue and you kind of you trying to start the fire, imagine starting a fire but pouring the you know the the uh, you know the what is it the carousel yeah, or yeah, whatever light, they, fluid, the, yeah, the fluid. lighting fluid yeah. yeah the lighter fluid but never having the the, the match yeah right <laughs> yeah so it, it's it's you gotta there's a process in building a business and um you know through that we provide a uh uh. uh A biannual um, accelerator program and so uh, it's a 10 to 12 week program just depending on uh on on the particular season Um, this this year we're running a a 10-week program just because of the timing that makes up but we run it twice a year it's a 10-week program where you get access to you know weekly sessions lead uh, and lead advisor uh, a bunch of subject matter expert mentors we do diligence um, on the companies on our fund side to figure out what type of, you know, fund structure, uh, investment fund structure works for you. If it's an equity investment, is it a loan? Um, is it is it credit? Um, et cetera. Uh, we do that um, as well as uh, uh, providing, you know, workshops. So we just actually kicked off our Pivot and Prosper um, Lunch and Learn series. So we're actually partnering with uh, Charles Schwab because it's financial literacy month during April. Um, so April 28th, we actually have a workshop coming up where we're talking about business credit. Um, so we've invited our partners and lift fund to come out and talk about um, the importance uh, of business credit, how to establish um, business credit. And we think those things are still important, but there has to be an on-ramp to like get in that game. Right. And mm-hmm. so if we can be that on-ramp that gets you some history because you've, you've gotten an investment from us and you've gotten a loan from us, then you can go to a CDFI or then you can go to a bank and, and, and show, OK, I've had this on my books. I have some history, you know, there. So. Um, yeah, that's some of the main things we, we, we provide, um, both the capital side and the technical assistance side. Um, and then eventually I think we'll be launching them some, some fee for service type model, um, out of that for those folks that, you know, maybe they don't want to go to an accelerator program and they just need, you know, financial services, or they just need to pull out certain things, um, uh, in their business that they want to do. We can provide that from a a fee for service, um, standpoint as well. Mm So, okay. Yeah, man. And what's your favorite sport? Man, without a doubt, football for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was just talking to my um, marketing intern uh, uh, today about just how much I miss the game and and, and how much business is so much like you know um, sports. Um, but I, I I still get that. Uh, and it, and it's tough in my industry because you can't really show the excitement and the uh, you know the aggression that you can in football than you can in business. Uh, it, it it's a different kind of like, you know, um, it's a different type of game, but but I, I love the mental component of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite football players is Rondé uh, Barber, uh, cornerback for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and I liked him because he was, he was undersized. Uh, he played in a cover two system, but he was a cerebral cornerback. So he wasn't the most athletic. He didn't run a 4-2. He didn't have a 40-inch vertical, right? But because he was smart, he always was two steps ahead of his opponent. So he got – he could make a play on a lot of bigger receivers, right, because he was always in position. And mm-hmm. so I kind of modeled my my uh, career as a DB off of him. Uh, of always kind of being in position, and I take that same concept to to business and to life. So,
1: no, it makes sense, man. No, I, I, I like it. I like it. Well, I appreciate you sharing. What's the best way for folks to follow you on on um, either social media or website? How, how should they follow you and reach out if they're interested?
2: Definitely, um, LinkedIn is probably the best. Um, uh, my my most uh, I would say professional um, active um, site. So, just follow me, Benjamin uh, J Van, on LinkedIn. Um, and then Twitter as well, Benjamin J. Van. Uh, and then for Impact Ventures, you can follow us at Impact Venture Co. on all social media sites uh, as well, where you can uh, find update information on that upcoming workshop that I just uh, uh, mentioned um, and a lot of our other events and things that are going on. So we're, we're set to kick off our, our Spring 21 Accelerator cohort May 1st. So you all will be seeing some things uh, on that and how to get engaged uh, with, with that program. So
1: cool. Cool. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock-based or equity-based compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time. And the decision-making process around what you do with your stock-based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or or even a negative way way over the long term. And so what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock-based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no-cost, no-obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested. To sign up for a time, go to my website, StonehillWealthManagement.com, and book a free investment, no cost, no obligation review. StonehillWealthManagement.com.
0: If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com, forward slash talk that's stonehillwealthmanagement.com forward slash talk